Have you ever longed to escape reality or fantasized about stepping into someone else's shoes, even for just a little while? Hi, I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Hawley. We host CBC's Play Me, the immersive podcast that transforms theater into addictive audio fiction. Join us for a new season and disappear into a world rich with drama, where every show delivers hypnotizing stories and unveils intriguing characters with secrets. Play me wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Jennifer Podemski told me the story about the time she went to L.A. from Canada to audition in front of big-time agents. And they talked on the phone while she was auditioning. They made disrespectful comments about her ethnicity. And that became the moment Jennifer decided to take control. Jennifer has dedicated her life to making sure that Indigenous creatives feel like their stories are being told authentically. Her brilliant new show is called Little Bird, and she'll be here to tell you all about it. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Let's talk a little bit about Jennifer Pademski. She started acting when she was a teenager, growing up in Toronto. She knew pretty early on that if she was going to take something on, if she was going to take on a project, she had to feel like it had integrity. And what that means is Jennifer is an Anishinaabe actor. She didn't want to take on roles that felt racist, that relied on stereotypes, where she felt tokenized. I mean, she'll tell you about the moment she knew she wanted to tell stories that felt true to the lives of real Indigenous people. And Jennifer's definitely done that. I mean, she's been in incredible projects like Reservation Dogs or Empire of Dirt. She was in Dance Me Outside, which is considered to be one of the greatest Canadian films ever. And now Jennifer is part of this new series. She's behind this new series called uh, Little Bird. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's really great. It's really powerful. It's about an indigenous girl who was abducted from her home during the 60s scoop. She's eventually adopted into a wealthy Jewish family in Montreal. And then the show does something really interesting. It shows her dealing with her own confusion and grief of being abducted, while her uh, adoptive family is still dealing with their own legacy of grief from the Holocaust. We don't know anything about her family. Why was she given up for adoption? What was the problem there? I think we know what the problem was. Exactly. Exactly. Now what? Look, I think you got one of the good ones. She's a lawyer. I have a cousin who adopted one of them, and he's into the drugs and all that stuff. It's too late for this. Little Bird is, of course, based on true events in Canadian history. Over the weekend, we marked the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, so we thought it was a good time to bring back our conversation. Here's my chat with Jennifer Pademski. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm I'm definitely uh, feeling incredibly grateful to be here talking about this show. It is great. Thank you. It's really, really great. Thanks. Do, do you want to talk about how... How great it is? No. Yeah, please. <laughs> this is a segment of the show I call <laughs> How Great It Is. Do you want to tell I mean, my, my understanding of it is that you were approached to do this show. Yeah. So it was late in 2015 when my colleagues at Resolution Pictures in Montreal came to me like we were thinking about this idea about the 60s scoop and a girl, an indigenous girl being raised in a Jewish home in Montreal. They're from Montreal. And I mean, they really didn't have to say much more. I grew up, you know, with a Jewish dad and an indigenous mom. So when it comes to intersections of identity and identity issues and identity crisis, you know, being a product of a Holocaust survivor grandfather and residential school survivor grandparents on my mother's side, I just feel like this was an opportunity to amplify some of those 
realities and experiences and that, you know, intergenerational grieving, let's say. It's an interesting challenge in, in, in this show like that. You know what I mean? And, and it's an interesting perspective in the show like that because you have this character, Little Bird, who, as you mentioned, is, a, is abducted during the, the 60s coup. She's a member of a Jewish family who is still very much affected by the Holocaust. Talk to me more about that. Talk to me more about showing the sort of varying intergenerational traumas going on here. Yeah. So our story focuses on Esther Rosenblum, who was born Beijing Little Bird. And she was raised by Golda Rosenblum. And I think the the common space that Esther and her mother Golda share is this one that they both have nobody else. And perspective wise, I think for Golda, it, it was always like she felt as if she was, you know, saving someone. And she found someone that was like her who lost everyone and who lost everything and didn't have a home. So they found this home together. So we all sort of wanted to tell a story that amplified the journey of grieving and overcoming differences and finding, you know, truth in ourselves and each other and understanding that sometimes we may not feel like we belong, but we always belong somewhere and to someone and it might not be what we think it is. And it's like this complicated, complex layering of shared experiences and very lightly touching on, you know, this unspoken connection of the Jewish experience and the indigenous experience. I mean, I can't imagine having to to show some of this on screen the way that you did in, in Little Bird. I mean, we, there, there was one scene in particular that kind of caught us off, off guard and, and kind of shook us a little bit. We wanted to play a little bit for you. Take a listen to this. Hey, do you think this was funny? Hey, this is go, crack. Go, stop. Run home. Come on, go get him. Hey, hey, hey stop running. Don't stop. So that, that's Little Bird and her siblings being chased by police, uh, ultimately being abducted, uh, taken away from their home. The performance by the child actors, let's be honest here, is, is incredible. Co-creator... Showrunner, were you part of any conversations about, I mean, how, did, how, how these kids should portray this, how they can feel safe while they're doing it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's there's so many parts to that. Like every single moment, every single word on the page to every single thing on the screen and every frame and every episode is is crafted and intentional. And at some point as a showrunner, you, you know, you hand it over to the directors and we have two brilliant directors, Zoe Hopkins and Elmaya Tailfeathers, both Indigenous women who took these this story and these characters and brought them to the screen in the safest, most protected way they could. And, you know, while they were managing, directing and caring for the cast, they were also, you know, these are stories that everyone, all of us relate to. So there was a lot they had to do to keep themselves safe while keeping everybody else safe. We had a therapist on set. We had medicines, like our own traditional medicines, available for prayer and healing. Um, We had a tent for just crying and wellness and whatever people needed. So I hope that everyone felt well taken care of. But again, you know, I felt that the that the story and the characters and the the that it was in good hands when we handed it over to to Maya and Zoe. And that is, you know, part of the job is to to trust the collaborative experience and know that everybody's on the same page, not just artistically, but emotionally. Is there one thing you wanted to get right 
Like if you like when you were making this show, there's so much that goes into it. I can tell how sensitive you treated everything, mm-hmm. how much thought went into everything. Was there a guiding like I need to whatever it is, I need to make sure this thing is right. Authenticity was the guiding principle. What does that mean? Which means every single thing that comes out of someone's mouth, every single frame, every single piece of, of, you know, physical information in the frame on the screen has to filter through a lens of authentic, you know, vetting. And in, it meant different things in depending on what it was. For example, my Aunt Sharon, who, you know, collected all of the information regarding what my community of Muscapeding in Saskatchewan was like every single thing in 1968, from the carpet to everything in the house, like every single thing had to go through this authenticity process. The same with policies, anything that was spoken, any words that were spoken, language, every single thing. And why that's important Mm -hmm. is because Indigenous stories, you know, in many ways were erased. And when we were seeing them and we were hearing about them, they were either used as propaganda or used to perpetuate narratives that were very harmful and reckless. Stereotypical stereotypes, uh, racist caricatures. Exactly. So authenticity for me is front and center and the driving purpose of why I even tell stories. Let me reintroduce you here. My guest is Jennifer Podemski. We've been talking a little bit about the show uh, she, she co-created and show ran. It's a new show called A Little Bird. It's out on Crave and APTN. Um, I want to play you something about your own story. Jennifer, why am I playing that for you, you think? Well, like that show changed my entire life. Tell Is me that why. T- yeah, tell me why. Well, yeah, I, you know, I was a kid who just wanted to be a performer. I really just wanted to sing and dance and act. And I think that came out in grade seven for me. Fame. Yeah, fame. Uh-huh. And it was really the first time I saw like people even remotely close to looking like me doing the exact thing that I wanted to do, which was sing and dance and perform and like literally all day and all night and dance on pianos and go to dance class wearing leg warmers. It was a very transformative show for me and the film. I shouldn't have been watching the film at the time. Yeah, it made prop- very, definitely not very actually. very R-rated yeah, film. Yeah, 100%. But I did watch it many times. <laughs> and I just honestly uh, held on to that so tightly. And like that was my... That was my song. Like, that was my mission, my life, my life song. It, it was my spirit song. Like, it just, it was the light that I moved towards to, to fulfill my dream. Any acting in your family at all? Or? A lot of acting up. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of acting out. <laughs> acting out. Um, you know, I have a, a relative. I didn't know this person, but it was, I, and I have to confirm with my mom, but mm-hmm. I think it was my great, great, maybe great grandmother. Yeah was an extra in a John Ford movie. Oh, wow. So there's a, like a legend of that. But no, there, there were no... There was no model yeah, for you yeah, to like, be listen, like... Yeah, like, listen, you know, my dad 
was born of a Holocaust survivor, mm -hmm. born in Israel, came to Canada, mm -hmm. and really was the product of like a new immigrant family. And, you know, they, it's not like they had a lot of um, opportunities, let's say. Yeah, of course. My mom was also raised by two residential school survivors. And not to say that you can't be an actor with those backgrounds, but I think that there was just a lot of survival happening. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's a lot of talent in my family, like a ton well, of talent on both sides. Yeah. And it just so happened that my sisters and I all followed that path. And and I feel like it was like our ancestors that kind of gave us all of the stuff that was missing from the generations that had no voice. All the things that had been robbed from those yeah. generations yeah. that your ancestors sort of gave them back to you. Yeah, It's beautiful. I can't imagine the conversation's easy, though, to go like, hey... Was it what maybe it was? Hey, mom and dad, I want to. I don't think I ever asked for permission. I just took opportunities. I don't remember actually how it all happened, but I started performing very young. And my grandmother on my dad's side would take me to the ballet. Oh. And would take me, you know, once a year to the ballet and to the Nutcracker and to some community shows. And I really just was like, oh my gosh, you can do this for a living. This is amazing. And yeah, I was supported. And don't forget, I'm 50 now. So I was in elementary school at a time when all those extracurricular, I mean, we look back at it and be like, oh, remember when at school you you could like do choir and drama band and, and drama and, yeah, and all those yeah. things? Yeah. We had that. Mm -hmm. And that, honestly, I don't think I would be where I am today without the nurturing that all of those teachers gave in their free time. I mean, so then you, as you mentioned earlier, you have this breakout role in the 1994 film Dance Me Outside, Bruce McDonald's film. Very influential film, especially in Canada, mm -hmm. uh, set at a reserve in Ontario, predominantly indigenous uh, cast, uh, really, really famous lines from it like this one. Where do I live? Yeah, where you live. I live where the land meets the sky, where the eagle and the raven fly free. I live under the sun and the moon. Where do you live? I'm his neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good line. It's still so good. Yeah. Uh, that film launches your career, right? Mm -hmm. Alongside Michael Gray Eyes and, and Adam Beach. What, uh, everything I've heard about that film was that it was fun. Like yeah. it, was, it was a joyful – some films aren't. No, it was so fun. And it was, it was like one of those experiences where, you know, you leave and you're like – you expect that everything else is going to be like that. And then it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. it's just a big slap in the face. But no, it was so I mean, I had done other things before that, but that was the first time where like I was surrounded by all these native people. And like I just felt like I belonged somewhere. And it it was a great it was a great reminder of you know, I guess what I love about making movies is that people come together with a common goal and you set out to achieve it. And the more fun you have doing it, regardless of the content, it makes life, you know, feel good and it makes your path feel blessed. It's easy. Yeah. It's, it's not, not, not that it's not no, hard. it becomes easy. But yeah. It's, 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 an, it's easy. It's it's a hang. It's yeah. a joyful thing. Yeah. Well, what's the story uh, after that? Like, my understanding is that like you went to L.A. There was a breakout role there, and then you go to L.A. and you start doing some auditions there, and they're kind of formative for you because they don't. People say weird things to you. Oh, they, yeah. they don't go very well. What what happened? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Was that yeah? After Dance Me Outside, geez, 
Yeah, no, it wasn't actually. After that, I just auditioned, you know, whenever a native role would come up because that was just how it was. Like I wasn't really being seen for much else, although I did work here and there. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't until I did The Res, which was the spinoff TV series to Dance Me Outside. So after the first season of The Res and I had a little bit more experience under my belt, I I did go to Los Angeles. And big, big Hollywood some, players, right? Like you were yeah. auditioning for big Hollywood Yeah, I did like types. a bunch of like, you know, 90210. I just did a bunch of auditions and it was like, I, it was like terrible. It was awful. I had an awful experience. I'm sorry. Do you, uh, what, what, um... Um, like, you know... I think there was a casting director that I went to see uh, after I worked really hard for this 90210 audition. And I think she was on the phone during my audition. But like quietly, as if I couldn't see her, like she was like on the phone in the huddled in the corner. Um, And then my ride left without me. Um, So I was stuck at the studio very far away from where I lived. Um, That whole trip was just, it was, yeah. And the, the agent at William Morris that I went to see was like, kind of greasy uh-huh. guy, you know, really um, extractive about my story. Like, you know, so you're Jewish. Like, tell me about that. Like, you know, I, I'll never be able to cast you as a Jewish character. And like, you don't really look native. Like, what is it? What? How do I do anything with you? And it was just like a yucky experience. But it was great because I don't think that that was my purpose. Your purpose wasn't to be on 90210 and to be in these big... Yeah, I thought it was, but it really wasn't. And my path definitely showed me that. Like every single thing, sometimes, you know, not good thing that happened to me led me into what I'm doing today. And I'm very grateful for that. So... Is that why you started the production company? Like you were down there and people were saying, hey, you're not native enough to do this. You're not Jewish enough to do this. And you were like, hey, I'm going to start a production company (laughs) to tell the stories that I want to tell here. It was very close to that. It was a couple years later when I was very disillusioned and moved to New York. My sister was in rent and she moved to New York City to be on Broadway. And I just followed her. I like basically quit acting and followed her and lived on her couch, lived on her and her husband's couch <laughs> in New sure, York City. Sure they loved that. They were so happy. <laughs> um, and uh, I got a job at the Reebok Sports Club and I was just like, I could do this for the rest of my life. Like I really can. I could manage this gym and I can work my way up. And stay like, on this be, couch? Yeah, stay on this couch. <laughs> I could live on my sister's couch. And um yeah, no, it was there when when I realized, like, it was like a literal aha moment when I was sitting on the floor. I was trying to, like, organize my stuff and appease my agent in the States at the time, thinking that I could, you know, maybe do some auditions. And then I was like, I can't do this. I can't. I can't be this person. I am not someone who can continually put myself out there for things that I don't believe in, especially knowing that, you know, my community is suffering. And every single role I'm play- playing or auditioning for is being written by non-Indigenous people and portraying this Native character, this one Native character as a, you know, one-dimensional victim or, you know, whatever, yeah, not a good life. Vessel of trauma. And, Yeah. And I just had this sort of moment where I said, I want to be someone who is a part of the change and a part of the solution. Because I did feel like, you know, if I was to continue, I would just 
not, I would just fade away into nothingness and not do anything worthwhile because my, you know, my acting career was, it was thin. I did amazing things, yeah. but it was like sometimes two years apart, not something between. you can survive on. Yeah. And so by 1990, that was 1998. And like right in 1999, as 1999 started, I opened a production company with uh, someone that I met on the National Aboriginal Achievement Awards that I was hosting <laughs> in January of 1999 with Michael Gray Eyes, actually. And yeah, f- just very funny how it all kind of comes f- full circle because that became the Inspire Awards, which I have been producing for 17 years. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yes, I I produce and I create content because I, fe- I felt like it was meaningful to me. I love that story. Jennifer Podemski talking about how she got fed up with Hollywood, started telling her own stories. Coming up, you're going to hear Jennifer talk about the work that actually takes and stories about going outside of the major cities and like finding talent in more remote communities. So more with Jennifer Podemski coming up. Arts Educators Save the World, we talk with artists and their mentors to discuss the transformative work that happens in arts education. We began with Lin-Manuel Miranda and his elementary school music teacher, and mine, Barbara Ames. The direct education we got from Barbara, it was life-changing. And since then, we've spoken with Cecily Strong, Josh Radner, Annalie Ashford, Robert Lopez, and so many others, each with their mentors. Join us again as we begin season two of Arts Educators Save the World, available everywhere. And then I was like, I can't do this. I am not someone who can continually put myself out there for things that I don't believe in. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q, and you're in the middle of my conversation with the actor and artist behind the new show, Little Bird, Jennifer Podemski. Little Bird is out now on Crave and on APTN. It's about a young woman who was taken from her family as part of the 60s scoop. She's placed to live with a wealthy Jewish family. Jennifer is Anishinaabe and Jewish, so it's a personal story to her and, and this is important, an authentic one. Authentic is a big word for Jennifer, and it it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So in this part of our conversation, Jennifer and I talk about that, about authenticity, what it takes to have authentic stories, like authentic indigenous stories being told. Here's more of my conversation with Jennifer Podemski. The stories I've I've always heard about you, Jennifer, have been like, you would make a, a very big effort to film on reserves even if there wasn't necessarily an infrastructure already there mm-hmm. for filming. And you would go through a tremendous effort to make sure you were recruiting indigenous talent outside of major cities, mm-hmm. people who maybe didn't make it to Toronto or didn't make it to, to Vancouver. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, well, one of the first projects that we started, myself and my partner at Big Soul Productions, was we called it Repres. Ending, representing. Mm. And it was a training program that we would take. The idea was essentially like, there are no, like, why am I an actor? And every set I go on that I'm playing an indigenous character, I never see an indigenous person on set. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, as an actor, I can say that I went to enough sets to realize that there just are no indigenous people on the crew. Mm -hmm. So I knew there was 
a dearth and that had to be addressed and things wouldn't change unless we started to build capacity. So we created this program that would go from community to, to community wherever it would have us. Um, Fort Chippewa in Alberta had a very progressive leadership there. They brought us up. We did a short film, trained the kids. You were traveling. Yeah, traveling. We went to like five different places, let's say. And one of the places happened to be North Central Regina. And North Central Regina, we did a short film called Moccasin Flats. And that short film, it was just very weird how it happened. That short film, you know, was really good. It was an tr- f- entire training program that was, you know, wrote this film and with mentors. And then we made it and it was actually pretty great. But to answer your question, the I guess my career as a showrunner started as a training program right. to build capacity. Because right. that's actually as important as telling the stories. We can't continue to tell the stories if we don't have the right people to tell them. And that's why recently in the past couple of years, I opened the Shine Network Institute was because I really don't see things moving fast enough. And there's the Indigenous Screen Office. There's Imaginative. There's so many outlets that are supporting Indigenous storytellers, especially above the line creatives. And there's a lot of training for crew, but we just need more advocacy and more jobs. Mm -hmm. How do we create access and break down barriers for... Um, indigenous talent below the line and on the crew and craftspeople to get onto trainee lists at unions. So that's what we're doing at the Shine Network Institute is, you know, trying to create a pipeline of talent to opportunities that exist, you know, across the sector. And I just think both are equally important. It doesn't seem right to have, you know, like on Little Bird, having an all-Indigenous cast um, and not an all-Indigenous crew. Yeah. So we did our best to create as many training opportunities on that show. And I just specifically really knew that we needed like Indigenous people in specific places, like at the trailers when the talent arrives um, and, you know, other components like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think training, building capacity is front and center to being a storyteller. It's not for everybody. Like, I don't know that that has to be everybody's mission, but I just feel like we're so far behind. We're so, so far behind. Still. Yeah. I want to see some, some real commitments from unions specifically because systemic racism, you know, people don't even understand how they're participating in systemic racism and you can blindly participate, but you can also take action and openly and wholeheartedly dismantle together. Mm. And to dismantle it is actually easier when it's done, you know, as a collaborative effort. It's not going to be one person who does it. It has to be a whole group of people. But but Jennifer, none of this is, none of this is, no story you've told me today (laughs) has been easy. You know what I mean? Like, Uh, no story you've told me today has been an, has been an easy one. I mean, like, and, and let's be clear: establishing a career in in film and television is is tough enough. To make the decision that I'm I'm going to only choose stories that I can tell with integrity, uh, or, or that that feel authentic, um, or I'm going to I'm only going to do stories that open up these opportunities for 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 my community or for historically marginalized communities. I mean, you know, it's it, it's amazing to see what's kind of happened to you over the years. I mean, you received the Tribute Award from the Academy of Canadian Cinema and TV. But again, none of this is easy, mm-hmm. particularly easy. What's been keeping you going when, when things get rough? You know, we are, you know, even in, I don't want to get super emotional about it, but 
in our family alone, and I know that my family is only one example of hundreds of thousands of Indigenous families facing, you know, incredible odds. And, you know, the, this epidemic of of people who are missing or murdered or, you know, the opiate crisis or, you know, having no clean water. Like these are real everyday issues. You know, we hear it on the news like as if they don't belong to us. But if you talk to any Indigenous person, they are actively reckoning with these things every day to some degree and some really worse than others. And, you know, every time I want to quit, I just look internally at the issues and the cycles that we're facing. And this is my cycle-breaking work. This and is I, my cycle-breaking work. Yeah, for, you know, maybe not for everybody, but for me and in my family. And I want so badly to do something important so that the survival of my you know, grandparents and those who came before them is for not for nothing. Jennifer Podemski is the co-creator and showrunner of the limited run series Little Bird. You can watch episodes on Crave and on APTN's Lumi streaming app. There's also a companion documentary for the show called Coming Home, which gives the actual historical context behind Little Bird. It's also available on Crave. All right, that's it for uh, this uh, podcast today. Uh, the other episode we put up to, uh, today is one of one of my favorites of the year. It's one of the um, it's a conversation that we had that still stays with me. I'll be honest with you, I didn't say this in the in the radio version, but I don't know. Okay, you know, I, I'll just say this. After we taped that interview, I went to bed like thinking about it. I woke up in the morning thinking about it. David Rubin Pictokin's art is absolutely incredible. His story is 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 really incredible. Um, whether he's telling the stories of how he was you know, taken from his family and sent to residential school, or he tells about like the stories of like learning later in life more of the heritage of his Inuit heritage. Anyway. Um, Again, a really powerful um, and long-lasting conversation with one of Canada's finest artists, David Rubin Token, is the other conversation up on our podcast feed today. So go check that out wherever you got this one. Right, we'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.